Hello, everybody. Welcome to Live True. My name is Drea Dalzell, and this is my first go at sharing a little bit about myself, insights, um, and hoping, hopefully growing this platform to a place where um, we can have some important conversations about um, about life and everything that comes with it, the ins and outs. Um, I figured I would start this episode with a little background on myself. I am a New Mexico-born Hispanic. um, Goodness gracious, describing myself in a um, in those terms is, is sort of daunting. Um, but I was born in New Mexico and raised in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I moved to Scottsdale, Arizona when I was five years old. I remember boarding a plane on my fifth birthday, um, towing along my little go-go dog that I had gotten for a gift that day. Um, and flying to our new apartment where my dad had already moved into and started um, his new job. So um, moving to Arizona um, definitely was a fortunate experience for my family. We got to experience things um, that my parents never did. Um, They were raised in northern New Mexico. My dad is from Cerro, which is right on the border um, of Colorado. And my mom was raised in Taos, New Mexico, where there is a famous ski valley. It's an artsy town. It's it's just a beautiful place. Um, And I was born in Albuquerque. Um, However, I find more of my homegrown roots when I am further north in the mountains, either in Taos or um, in Cerro. So that's a little kind of history on on where my family has originated from. But as I said, I was raised in um, Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I was raised in a very privileged area. I was one of very few colored um gosh, I don't even want to say girl, boy, but just colored people in our community. Um, I know that there was nobody else who looked like me. I know there was nobody else that had the same background as me. And I knew that nobody else um, would see anything other than my brown skin, my glasses, and my big buck teeth. Um, And that is essentially how I viewed myself growing up. I was an extremely shy and introverted child. Um, I did not take well to new crowds, meeting new people. Um, I did flourish in school. Um, I loved to read. I loved um, academics. And um, that was a saving grace for me um, in my younger years because it really kept me focused and on track um, and really 
um, gave me something to aspire to. Whereas my brother, who was just as charming as can be, was Mr. Popular, Mr. Athletic, all of the above. Um, gosh, if you ask us what our experiences were growing up, they are very, very different. Um, I saw myself as a little brown girl. He did not see that as an issue for himself growing up at all, um, which I am still to this day sort of jealous of because I am curious what path I would have taken had I not only seen seen my skin color. Um, Fast forward a bit. Um, I'm sure I'll delve into some of the um, details of my childhood, but um, all I can say is I had two very hardworking parents. Um, My mother um, owned her own house cleaning business and worked very hard. My, um, father was, um, an engineer and worked for various companies, um, throughout our childhood. Um, but my parents worked hard to provide us things that they didn't have. Um, we lived in an area that, um, probably both of my parents would have never dreamed would be their community. Um, we got to take vacations. I got to see Disneyland growing up. I got, I, I never went without, Um, That is for certain. I probably would have viewed myself as a very privileged child um, just because of my experiences, the access to um, good education and the activities that I had um, around me. And um, as I as I got older, um, I feel as though that reality that I felt was true, um, was, was just not the case. Again, all I saw was my brown skin. That was it. And although those around me may or may not have experienced that when encountering, you know, myself, that is what I saw. That is what I felt. That is, that was my reality. So I became a shell of a person. I was living a life where I was doing all of the things to try to fit and fit in and be a part of. That is my story. I have from day one just wanted to fit in and be a part of. And let me tell you that led to the most destructive path um, that I could have found um, leading me into my alcoholism. Um, and essentially destroying my life from a very young age um, and ending up in prison at 26 years old. So um, trying to fit in got me to the wrong crowd because I discovered alcohol at the age of 14. I discovered the feeling of... Um, of <laughs> freedom, of numbing, of letting those feelings go, of of having courage, all of the things that you'll hear a drunk or an addict talk about on their first drink, their first drug. It was that moment of, yes, this is how it's supposed to feel. I'm supposed to live on this cloud where everything I do is funny. Everything I say is the most interesting thing. I fit in. I'm wonderful. Um, 
And then it leads you down the path of destruction, which is exactly what it did for me. Um, by the age of 20, I had two DUIs. I had lost my apartment. I had lost my car, my driver's license, and I was living on my mom's couch. Um, by the age of 25, I had my third DUI, lost my license for the you know, third time, and at this point was facing felony charges and... Um, and prison time. So again, that is a real fast forward portion of my life. And, um, and I think that's usually where I pick up my story for the most part, because uh, the rest are just details. I will tell you that my disease started with a lot of trauma that I didn't understand as a child. Um, I suffered from some sexual abuse as a small child, which I have not shared openly with too many people. But um, at the age of goodness, I, I don't even know exactly. I know it was when I was being babysat. I must have been um, three or four. I have very, very limited memory of the incident or incidents because I have no idea what I actually blocked out and protected myself from. Um, I know for many years I justified the fact that I was making a mountain out of a molehill. I'm sorry. As a seven, eight, nine-year-old child up into adulthood, it is not my responsibility to justify my um, understanding of something that I experienced due to somebody else's inappropriate actions. And it's taken me many years to figure that out. All I know is that what I experienced was wrong. And it sent me down a spiraling um, uh, cycle. And it led me to feel the need to fit in and be a part of but there was this part of me that was shamed, a part of me that I was embarrassed of. And it was not my fault. Um, but as a child trying to navigate without knowing how to talk about that about without knowing um that without somebody telling me it wasn't my fault and that the things that I were feeling were okay and that I was able to process that and not have to keep it a secret um for my entire life um I think is is an experience that I'm finding that lots of people have gone through um and it is so much more common than we think and it roots from um, generational trauma. Um, those who abuse were likely abused. And I, I say live true. That is sort of my motto. And that is because as I got sober and had some aha moments, I realized that um, my truest self was not that person who felt shameful all the time. It was not that drunk. It was not that person making irresponsible decisions and, um, and being a bad influence. It was not the one who um, fell into promiscuity and 
um, used alcoholism, her alcoholism to um, feel something or to feel nothing at all. That is not my truest self. My truest self is somebody who can break down those walls, break through those generations and generations of, we don't talk about that. Those generations and generations of, um, you probably asked for it, the generations and generations of bullshit that um, we hide um, because of shame. It's really all it comes down to. Every single person has shame, no matter what it, what form it takes. And I know for a fact that mine, um, mine will stop with me. Um, I have two small children and parenting is the most difficult task um, that I have faced in my life. Um, And it is solely for that, that reason. It's not because parenting is just hard and kids, I mean, you're responsible for human lives. No, it is the fact that I am working diligently to not repeat patterns and to not repeat those shameful and um, just negative stories that have been through my family lines. That is that is the hard part. It is hard to be um, emotionally available, spiritually available. Um, it, it it's hard to um, allow my children to feel. It is hard to respond to my children and not react. And I'm not perfect. So I have the moments where I react with anger, where I react with raising my voice, where I react like every other parent reacts. And then I feel horrible about it because I see it for what it is. I see my children as little human beings who do not have the ability to communicate, therefore act out. The the funny part is, is that they're two and three and a half. They have an excuse. I was doing this through my adulthood because I was not given the proper tools. I was not taught how to communicate. And this is through no fault of anybody else. This is not my parents' fault. This is not, you know, the educational system fault. This is where we live as a society where it is not important to talk about emotional health. It is not important to talk about mental health. It it now is becoming more acceptable. But the truth of the matter is, is that should be foundational. It should be foundational that we know how to process through emotions, that they are okay to feel, and that emotions are not facts. So, as I mentioned, I, I think I summarize how I got to become an alcoholic so quickly because it really all just comes down to to basic, you know, generalized terms. Yes, there are details to each of those, but at this point it 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 I like to keep it general so other people can um, relate in whatever way that they can, because just because you may not have experienced abuse of any sort, um, those feelings of wanting to fit in, that that's human. I think everybody can relate to that. So um, I am 10 years sober, 10 and a half, but who's counting, right? Um, and I am a mother of two. 
not including the two fur babes. And I have a wonderful husband who has supported me through some of the most difficult parts of my life, including um, my stay in prison due to my... Um, my love for drinking and driving. And I say that kind of half-heartedly because when I say I love to drink and drive, I loved to drink and drive. There's something about that combination that was just exhilarating. And I would do absolutely anything to chase that freedom of being behind the wheel while numbing out reality. And it sounds horrible to say that out loud today because it was it was absolutely a hobby of mine to do. And the fact that I never killed anybody or or harmed myself or worse um, is nothing shy of an absolute miracle. And I want to be clear about that. I do not condone drinking and driving. I do not. Just because I was able to get away with it for so long until I, I got caught multiple times. And just because I did not hurt anybody does not mean that what I did was right. All I am saying is that in my disease, that was something I absolutely enjoyed. And that is proof that one's mental state can justify something that is so insane as getting behind the wheel and driving a vehicle while intoxicated. So I want to be very clear about that because I will joke. I will throw around my dark humor because that is how I've learned how to cope. That is how I've learned to heal myself um, from the shame of my alcoholism. Because let me tell you, there is a lot of shame in being an alcoholic. But on the flip side, there is a lot of um, empowerment that comes with it. There is a lot of... um, of just positive um, things that have come from being an alcoholic. I call myself a drunk because at my at my nature, I am a drunk because that's what's easy. Um, and And I don't have that option today. I don't have the option to numb out. I don't have the option to have a stiff drink after work when I feel stressed or tired. Um, what I have now, fortunately and sometimes unfortunately, is the awareness of processing and actually handling stress in a different way. I have um, the awareness of understanding myself at a level that sometimes I just wish I could turn off because sometimes I just want to cruise. I want to put on cruise control and I want to keep going. But I can't do that because I know that what I'm doing is unhealthy and because I know what the benefits of putting in the hard work to address what is actually going on deep down is going to be so much more beneficial to me and to my family and to my loved ones that I don't get to cruise anymore. I don't get that luxury, um, if you even call it a luxury. So um, that is a little bit about what has brought me here? What has brought me to the point of sharing my story, sharing my shame, um, sharing this all with, I, I say, a stranger on the street? Because I absolutely will. Because I'm a human being and so are you. And we all have our own experiences which have brought us to this very moment in our life. And we all have decisions that we're going to make moving forward from this moment in our life that are going to impact not just ourselves but those around us. And that effect that we have moving forward is going to affect this this planet that we live on, which is where 
we need to get to at this point. Um, yesterday, which was the 6th of January, 2021, um, there were was a mob that overtook and breached um, the Capitol. And as I watched that event unfold on the news and through social media, and I got entangled in it, I felt the same feelings I felt when I watched the Twin Towers drop on 9-11. I felt hopeless, terrified, um, anger. I felt violated, personally violated as I watched people walk into Nancy Pelosi's office and stick their feet on her desk and write notes and threats. I watch people through the chambers um, disrespecting our democracy. And I felt personally attacked because that office is not Nancy Pelosi's office. That is our office. That building, along with others in this country, represent our freedoms. It represents everything that makes us um, a United States citizen. And to have people breach through those walls as disrespectfully as they did is a violation of my freedom, your freedom, my family's freedom. Um, and it's a threat to us personally. And I think that's why I was so angry. I think that's why I was so terrified because the normalcy of these events is almost, it's sickening. And sure, people are enraged and everyone's angry, but then we go about our day because it really doesn't affect uh, affect us directly, right? We go to work the next day and we start doing the things. And that's the problem. That is the problem, is that we are able to turn off these systemic issues to go about as if. And I really struggle with that. I really struggle with being able to just turn it off and and go as if. I struggle with the fact that um, white supremacy has become something that people are not held accountable for. Um, We can point the finger, but nobody's going to be held accountable. Um, And I think that's the part that is just devastating to me because we see this happen over and over again, yet we think we have grown so much as a country. Um, We think it's patriotic um, to climb the walls and breach a building that we have no business being in. Um, We think that it's okay to get on the news and insult people and then cry when we get maced in the face um, for breaking the law. Um, That is the privilege that I feel people want to not only want to ignore, but maybe just don't even acknowledge its existence. And if you cannot see privilege after the many of examples that we have seen in recent months, um, that is a testament to the issue that we have here in this country. Um, And it's embarrassing and it's just, it's just heartbreaking. Um, So I, I, do my absolute best to be uh, as responsible as I can for myself, my own actions, but also to break those generations of we don't talk about that, we act as if, 
and um, and raise some decent human beings. Because at this point, I mean, let's just cut our losses and start focusing on these kids. Um, because uh, when I listen to people talk and defend what happened yesterday, I, I literally get sick to my stomach. And it's like, can we just move on? Can we just move on to people who aren't tainted by this bullshit? Um, because to justify any sort of... Um, action that was taken yesterday is just beyond my comprehension. So um, live true is my motto. Live true involves very difficult conversations and feelings and emotions. And I will say that I, I may say things that I'll end up regretting or apologizing for down the road. And I'm okay with that because that is the human being that I am. I can, I am human and I will speak out of emotion. I will react. But at the end of the day, it is my responsibility to be a responsible human and say when I'm wrong, apologize and learn. And I think that's the biggest thing is being informed is so very important because it's so quick to speak off of emotions. I mentioned earlier, emotions are not facts. They're not and my husband has a very, very good gift of reminding me about that. And sometimes I will admit um, he gets a little too general and removes all emotion out of things. And that almost angers me more because it's like you can't remove the humanity out of humanity to justify a situation to make it black and white. Excuse my terminology, but right and wrong, left and right, whatever you want to say, it's not that way. Um, for me, you still have to remain human because that is the main factor about what makes us who we are and how we navigate through these problems. I'm not trying to be less human. I'm trying to be more human more human, which means that I have to dig deep to find compassion for these people that were scaling the walls um, at the Capitol yesterday, because I need to understand that there is humanity in those human beings. And even though I don't agree and understand what got them to the point that they have, there's obviously some sort of a conviction that they felt so inclined to do what they did. And um, I don't agree with it. I don't understand it. It angers me. But as a human being, I have to have some sort of compassion to understand that, yes, not everything I believe is true. Not everything I believe is the way it should be. Um, but I, I feel that they should also understand as well the fear that um, they created um, for a lot of us. And I, I heard some really terrifying conversations about teachers saying how do we talk about this with our kids you know how do you explain to somebody who may have seen this on tv a young person with these trump flags flying about whether you support him or not that's what they see they see images these flags with blue lives matters these flags with make america great again you know and then to walk outside of their house and see the same exact flag flying high. How do you expect these minds that are maturing day by day to process that information? To hear what they saw on TV is so wrong, so bad, 
but see that same flag flying in their front yard. I understand that not all Trump supporters agree with what happened yesterday. Just like all Black Lives Matter supporters don't agree with the vandalizing, rioting, looting that was happening um, throughout this throughout last year. I get that. <clears throat> but how do you explain that to a new generation? How do they separate the things? You know how? We talk about it. Healthy. Healthy ways. But my, my concern is, do we know how to have those conversations? Because we obviously, as grown adults, don't know how to have those conversations with other grown adults. It's like the blind leading the blind, and now we're going to teach it to a whole new generation. So there lies my dilemma. And the difficulty of being a parent is glaring me glaring at me every day. Do I talk about this? Do I not? How do I approach it? Do I not approach it? Do my husband and I agree? If we don't agree, how do we have that discussion? And yes, my children are still rather young, but one day they're not going to be very young. And one day I hope they feel comfortable and safe enough to come to my husband and I and have this conversation something that scared them, something that angered them, something that they feel compassionate about, something that they feel um, a conviction towards. I, I want to be that safe place, but I also want to be that safe place that can hear them and still provide some sort of guidance because that is my job. So who do I look for for guidance in these crazy times? Think about that. Who are you turning to guidance in these difficult times? Are you ignoring it and pretending it didn't happen? Are you asking the questions? Are you forcing your opinions down other people's throats? Are you cutting people out of your life? Are you engaging in the toxicity of the conversation? What choices are you making to improve our current state? Think about it. 